So it looks like Will Nala is going to be joining us for this introduction. So this next interview is with Liam Moran. Liam's an absolute savage and one of the most fun guys I've had the, the pleasure of coaching in quite a long time. The reason why I enjoy working with Liam is because he's just a really, really high-level dude. And I think that anybody who wants to perform at a higher level, wants to stay relaxed and stay calm under stress and under pressure, will get a lot of benefit out of this podcast because Liam is exemplary of all of those things. I hope you get a lot out of this because I certainly took a lot away from it. So yeah, enjoy. All right, we're live, dude. Welcome on. Thanks, bro. Thank so you. why do you like getting punched in the face? Oh, aside from the, uh, just like the rush <laughs> from the high. Well, yeah, that's, it's, I was just saying to you, it's, it's the funny thing. You don't actually like getting punched in the face, but it's a paradox. You don't like it, but you like it. You don't like the pain and you don't like, it triggers a response in your brain. Like it must be an evolutionary response when things are flying at your face because it doesn't feel good, but what feels good about getting punched in the face, I, in my personal opinion, is you you can quickly like learn and condition your brain that pain isn't that big of a deal, right? Because you perceive like, oh, this is going to hurt. And the more you think about how much is it going to hurt, right? Yet they say like, don't, don't like, you don't, you know, pull punches and you don't stand punches. Like when you, when you think about like, oh, it's going to hurt and you tense up and you punch the face, it really hurts a lot more <laughs> versus when you learn to just like take punches, right? Like as you move and as you roll and as and even just take like hard punches, you kind of learn, well, like how hard you are as a person. But you also learn that, like, I guess the best way to describe it would be that a lot of things that you think are going to be really bad aren't that bad. <laughs> so it's not that bad getting punched in the face? Well, like after you take enough punches, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> how, long, how long have you been fighting for, by the way? <laughs> this has to happen a couple thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> till you lose all, till the CTE, little, all the CTE and then yeah. And then nothing hurts anymore. You don't actually feel anything at all. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Weird. But, so, so how long have you been fighting? <laughs> Four years. Four years. Oh my! <laughs> right, and you turned pro within four years. Like not pro, amateur pro. Like not like not like pro pro fighting for like world belts, but am pro. So what's the difference? Like pro means like you're on the circuit and you're fighting for like belts in different organizations, and you have to have like a museum minimum amount of fights to go pro. Right. Gotcha. And so what were you doing? So this is like the amateur circuit below that. So this would be fighting for like. Intercountry belts, provincial belts, federal belts. You know, go to Thailand, have a few fights there. You know, go to the states. I'm in Canada, so you go to the states. So then, pro would be like you're doing like the big no, no one promotion circuits. You know? Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So like, 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 like semi pro rugby versus pro rugby, same thing, right? You do, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Shady gotcha. little stadiums or like proper stadiums, you know? Yeah, yeah. You fight for a hundred bucks. You get you get you do You pay to fight. You you pay a hundred bucks to fight somebody. Really? Probably when it's all said and done, you do the math. Yeah. You probably paid. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. And and so like, what for you? Like, what were the key things? Like, because we we talked about this like a couple of months ago. Like, there there's a heap of stuff that you learn from fighting, which is then applicable into like everyday life. Mm. What were the key things that you learned from getting punched in the face? I think, I mean, the punching in the face is actually the like would would probably be the least brutal aspect of it. The training is the most brutal part, right? Like they say, how so? Well, the, 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 the goal of like really hard training and fighting is to make the training worse than the actual fight in, in a way so that you're prepared and conditioned, right? For like an absolute worst case scenario physically, but also mentally. Like they're trying to break you, right? Like when they're training you for fights, like the goal of the trainer is it's, it's a very fine balance. It's like we need, we need you in really good physical condition. We can't have you injured, 
right? You'd be like optimized your, your performance, but mentally they try to break you or take you past like, you know, Goggins talks about it, take you past like that dark place, right? Mm. Because when you go into a fight, there's so many variables that can happen. And ultimately at some point in a fight, whether it's like a five round fight or it's a short fight, you're going to hit that dark place, right? Like it's just going to happen. Unless it's just a very uneventful fight, which is pretty fucking rare. So the goal is for them to get you to a point where when you get to that place, you know you're there and you're like, oh, I can still go 20%, right? Mm. Because most of fighting is mental. Right. Like, it's like, we're all roughly in the same physical shape, you know? You know what I mean? Like, we look at, like, most pro sports, like, like pro tennis or rugby or anything. Like, Djokovic isn't in 50% better shape than Andy Murray or Roger Federer. You know what I mean? Like, he's a really good human specimen. Yeah, he's just in more flow when he's playing. He's just, it's just effortless for him. He's in control of his mind, right? Like he's, he's like his mental game is on another level, right? Hmm. It's, not, it's not like he can run faster, jump higher, lift more weights at like a disproportionately unfair advantage to the other guys, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But then, so, okay, so, so they teach you to be able to go like into that place, into that, into that, that dark place, and then be able to go 20% beyond and be comfortable in there, in there. But how does that actually help you in life? Well, it just makes you tolerate suffering and like uncomfortableness, <laughs> right? And, and being able to just zone in and focus on something because it's the same mindset thing, even though it's a physical activity you're engaged in, right? Let's say you're doing something you don't really like or want to be doing. Like no one, <laughs> no one wants to be going to that. No one's like, oh, this training is so amazing. Getting Shark Tank is so great. Like no one wants to do it really. But it's the same as applicable. And like, you know, you're having some issue with someone at work or the relationship thing. It's the same thing. It's just like the person who can outlast the other person in terms of like suffering and patience is probably going to win most times. If not, I would totally. say, right? With business, it's big time, huh? Whoever can put off that reward for longest always wins. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Generally, yeah. yeah. Delayed gratification, you mean? Yeah. Reward gratification, yeah. for sure. I mean, it's slightly different, right? right. But yeah. So, so in terms of that, okay. So for you. And sorry, I think it teaches you to fall in love with like the process of things. What right? do you mean by it that? Teach, it, it teaches you to, to love the different process phases or like elements of doing a thing, right? It's like business, right? Like a lot of us, when we're starting a business or business owners, or, or we're like, let's say in a business, as a small business, like we often have to wear many hats, right? You have to do marketing and sales and coach clients and do all these different things. The same thing in fighting, like you have to have good offense, you have to have good defense, you have to run, even if you don't like running because it's good for your cardio. You have to lift weights, you have to diet, you have to do all these different things. You're not amazing at all of them. You're amazing at a couple of them, right? And it's that same mindset of like, even though I don't like doing this, I know it's really important because if I don't do it, I won't get the result that I want, Right. Mm, totally. I have exactly the same thing in bodybuilding. It's like yeah. starve for six months and like not sleep and feel like shit every single waking moment of the day for the hope of winning like a little plastic trophy at the end. But like, <laughs> no, but there's something weird that comes. Like what I got was I actually ended up loving that process. Like yeah, I used to, fall as weird as, you fall in love with it. Like, is that the same in fighting? Like when you're training? hundred percent, man. Yeah. You fall in love with, like there was a period where for a good two years, you know, five, six days a week, right? I trained two, three hours a day. Some days doing doubles, you know? And you're working at the same time? Working, girlfriends, hunting, like, yeah. I mean, some of those things are, you know, <laughs> come and go, hunting and girlfriends come and go, uh, seasonal, but yeah, no, you're like doing everything else, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's like, it's like all the guys in Thailand, like most of them, unless they're really, really top level, they all have a day job. You're right. So Thailand's where a lot of the top guys are. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm talking like just like 
just the Thai Muay Thai fighters, like at the highest level, like they don't have to work, they make enough money, but all the other guys, like they got to have a job. Yeah, you gotcha. <laughs> you know, like police, firefighter, you know, whatever, construction worker, you know? Mm. So then yeah. going back to like how it impacted you in business, like, cause you guys, and we'll get around to like what you, what you guys are doing in a sec, but like you're all yeah. doing, you're doing pretty fucking well over it. Profit for contractors. Like it's a cool business. What are some of the other things that you learned and you took out of just like exerting yourself and fighting at a high level that have allowed you to have this, to enjoy the success that you've enjoyed? I think a really important thing that you learn is someone described it once and I forget the, the exact word, but you learn how to quickly like course correct things, right? Because when you're training and doing like, let's say technique and fighting, right? You quickly like between like sessions or between weeks, you can like quickly make big improvements or like a bunch of small improvements that get a big result in your technique, right? Like maybe the way you throw a kick or the way you do this thing, or you're working on a certain type of cardio exercise, right? To get your gas tank up. But you learn like, oh, I can do things like really quickly and make big strides, or I can like optimize things very quickly. Like you like you learn the game of process optimization, right? In terms of in terms of like your technique and your physicality, which you then can apply to business. Cause you look at things that are like big and scary, you're like, oh, I can just break this down into like an adaptation cycle where I learn, okay, like I'm going to just study this thing and just train this thing because I'm weak at it. Like you learn, you learn to learn to work on your weaknesses, which is a big thing, right? But instead of just focusing on your strengths. Yeah. And I know there's many arguments, like some guys, you know, like Gary V and I know Charlie, your guys like work on like, you know, double down on your strengths, but in fighting, unfortunately it doesn't work because if you're really bad at something and someone figures it out, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> there's totally. dire physical consequences, unfortunately. <laughs> And so do you, do you still take that method into like how you work now? Like with doubling down, like focusing on your weaknesses as well, or what's your perception? I think it's more, you learn like, okay, what are the things that I can, maybe it's a weakness, but I can get it to a level where it won't, it won't be a, like a risk, right? Mm. Or it won't cost me. Uh, but then these are the things that if I don't fix them or if I don't contribute to them or I don't help the team with it, or I don't learn enough about it right? It is a risk, whereas it is like a potential detriment to the business, for example. So how do you go from, because like fighting is just you, it's like mono, it's one-on-one, right? But then business is a team game. So how do you find that goes translating? Because you've gone from performing at a very high level in one, in an individual, then into a team. Like for me, in bodybuilding, like it was, it was just me. Like I would diet by myself. I would right. fucking train by myself. I would do pretty much everything all day, every day by myself. Like I shut off all social connections and whatnot. And for me, it was actually a big transition. I was not a good employer for like a long time because I was just used to me doing the work. I was, I'm the workhorse. I'm like, right, I'm the guy see. that if I have a problem, I go fucking fix it. Like I do it myself. And I had to learn to change that. How did you go with that me adaptation? Too. I'm still learning with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, fighting's are like a little bit of, it's, a, it's different because you have a team behind you and the way like most Muay Thai and boxing gyms work is there's like a group of fighters who are actively training together right? So you're all training with each other. It's kind of like a brotherhood effect. So you have a bunch of guys around you who are also performing at a very high level, right? So they kind of force you to be better. And then you have, you know, usually like two to three coaches who are actively working with you. So it's like, it's a little bit different, but you're not just like completely isolated on an island. But yeah, it's a good, it's a good point because ultimately the competitive aspect, right? It's, it's all on you. It's one-on-one. So I think you learn to take that into something like what I did, like with sales, because it's like, it's just me, right? Like essentially it's a one-on-one sport, right? It's me and the prospect. But then you learn how to leverage the team and the people with you. So your other sales reps are like your other fighters, right? Your team, support team coaches, or like your your customer support and your 
other staff and you learn kind of, again, how to, because ultimately like the best fighters ever, like when you look at like GSP, you look at like the best, right? Like w- what they did, most of them, aside from being amazing, you know, super high level focus athletes, great mindset, is they were able to put a really good team together around them that they got work to w- work well together and they got to work well with them. And that is a skill set. Like the way GSP built his team and like built his coaching staff, that that's partly what made him so successful. Can, can you remember? I, I've, I'm not familiar with that at all. Like uh, George St. Pierre, yeah. So he he basically won out and his thing was like, I'm going to source the like Jedi's of each respective discipline. So like Jedi BJJ coach, John Donner, Jedi boxing coach, Freddie Roach, right? Jedi overall MMA coach, Frasa Sahabi. And as you know, usually those types of guys don't play well with others, right? Mm. Generally those guys like are not the kind of guys who will integrate, but they're generally like they have an ego or they just like they're loners and they're fucking weirdos, right? But being able to get those personalities to work together to his advantage, like that's that's a fucking skill, mm. right? Totally. It is because it's like these are the kind of guys who normally it's hard to get them to do anything, <laughs> let alone come in a room with other big egos, or other big personalities, right? Hundred percent. The the collaboration thing is fucking huge. I know for me, like when I um in my period, like I had this period where I was I was doing really well, and I had this period where I was like super emotionally stunted, where I actually limited my team, like the limit limit of the number of people around me. I, I developed an ego, you know, the whole superstar thing. Like you're doing really well, you think you're good. I was like 21 years of I, was, I think I was 20. Every fighter, I was pro. You know, fire their whole staff that made them successful. Yeah, like, exactly. Get a new coach, just coach your shit. Wait, he's the guy who helped you win like. 15 fights in a row. Yeah, but like now I'm a superstar world champion. Now I need a better coach. Yeah, exactly. I did lots of that dumb shit. Thankfully, I didn't fire my coach, but I pretty much got rid of everyone else around me. Yeah, yeah. You see this all the time, right? Dude, fuck. You see this with gyms, with fighters all the time. It's like, what happened with so-and-so? It's like, oh, he moved to a new gym. It's like, what? Like he's been with that gym forever and they got him to where he is. He's like, yeah, he's at some new gym. And then they often go like, (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, like they dumped their girlfriend like that supported them the whole time. It's like the, it's like you see it every time, man. Right? Well, one like, of the things oh, I, I admire go about to, you, dude. This gym. The, one of the things I admire about you is like you literally have like even when I was trying to get you on this podcast, you're like, oh, I don't consider myself successful. I'm like, bruh. <laughs> Just like that, dude. Dude, like, dude you've you've done pretty well. It's like, what what have you done to not be a prick and to like to to stay humble um, and to stay you? Because you've had a lot of success. Let's face it, factually you have and objectively have, but like how have you how have you maintained you being you? Oh man, I don't know the answer to all these questions. I think, well, one is you got to surround yourself with people who are generally also trying to be the best for themselves who are killing it because then you have, you know, a, a new yardstick, which is always great. Part of it too, man, I think is you just, you just slowly like weed the shitty people out of your life, which has a massive impact, right? If I look at like my life and my friends before I started fighting and training and then after, I'd say it's a good like 90% reduction. Really? You know? Oh Yeah. Well, dude, when you're training six days a week, like you only have time for people who actually care about who actually care about you, right? Like a lot of those fair weather friends, you can't go drinking, you can't go and do, you can't go, you know, doing stuff because you got to get the next day and train, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. So it kind of forces you to put these really good parameters on. Now you could probably go too hard with this, and I've seen guys do that, but yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. And I think like the thing about fighting and like all these martial arts and sports is like there's you can't like there's no peak. Like you're going to always get better. There's always someone who's been better than you, right? Like you're always worrying about like the next guy because it's like, well, I've trained really hard, but you can assume the other guy you're fighting is trained as hard as you plus 10%. So it's like you, you can't rest, right, on your laurels. You can't get comfortable because that's when like shit goes bad usually. Yeah, that's like the Conor McGregor effect. Oh, yeah. Like 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's hard to get motivated when you're still sleeping in silk sheets. But yeah, I think I think when you look at guys, yeah, who keep that junkyard dog mentality, like really, right? Mm. That's what makes them, and that's in business, that's in sports, that's in fight, it's everything, man. Mm. You see, like in that clip with Bezos when he's worth like a billion dollars, and he's, they're driving across the Brooklyn Bridge, and he's in like a '92 Civic. The guy's like, "You're worth a billion dollars." Like, why aren't you driving like this? This, you know, some stupid car. He's like, "This fucking car's sick." He's like, "Awesome, it gets me from A to B." <laughs> Have you heard about the um? There's an NFL <laughs> owner who drives something similar, like another piece of shit, and has a Nokia phone talking. and yeah, the bold cut. You seen that dude? <laughs> yeah, man. It's the same mindset. It's like, I'll, no? try, I'll try. Remember to get the editors to yeah. get a photo of him it's and so put good. him up on here so you can see it. It's so hilarious. Good. I'm like, dude, looks like he cuts his own hair, has a Nokia, and drives a piece of shit car, and he's worth like three hundred million dollars. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think. Then I heard like, yeah, Bezos talking about his morning routine. He's like, sleep until whenever I want, get up, don't have any calls till 10 a.m. I was like, that's like a good morning routine. Really good morning routine. (laughs) Low stress as fuck. Super. People underestimate that, man. Like we all think like you see. You've been teaching me a lot about that, man. About what? Like just like like stress and and the mindset and like the always, you know, thinking always have to be like perfect example. And it's and it's my my wife worked on this with me a lot. Like I have a cabin, you know, up north where I go hunting and because I love suffering and because I love doing stuff, right? Like the whole time I've owned the place, it's always been like, we've got to, you know, got to chainsaw these trees, got to do this thing. You got to do all these things that just like a ton of work and it's painful. And, you know, I could pay people to come in and do some of it. I don't. <laughs> but the, the idea of like, you bought a property in the middle of the fucking woods to go relax and chill and you, <laughs> and you spend all your time there doing shit. Why don't you just chill? But it is relaxing. It is it is relaxing to do shit. Have you read that book, Chop Wood, Carry Water? Like it's that's it's that same philosophy, right? I haven't no. What's it about? Oh, your your audience would love that book, man. Oh, Chop yeah. Wood Carry Water. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah. I'm gonna buy it. I remember funny too, because I, I, I met the CEO of a very I won't name his name in in the story, but CEO of a very successful company when I was like 27, 28. And I was just like, dude, like, you know, what's your advice on like life and business and everything? And he, all he said to me was chop a lot of wood. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. Like, I'm like, is that like a metaphor? He's like, no, like find a way to physically chop wood. It's something, it's fucking awesome, man. And I, I went and bought a property site unseen because of that. Yeah. And, and do you regret it? Acres, 400 acres of land site unseen. 400? <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. It seems like a, seems like a good, it was a really good price. I was like, cool. Yeah. Site unseen. <laughs> so I could chop wood essentially. Yeah, my my old man regret, does the same thing. Regret zero. But my 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 dad, man, he um he had a company had five hundred employees, and it was like, I see what he does now, and it's funny how he says he started off his days shoveling shit, sandblasting. Like he worked in the mine, sandblasting is like the worst job. It's like forty degree heat. You're in a suit, and then you're blasting sand at stuff That's like terrible. rust and paint off. It's like horrible. Like he did start with the shit jobs and laboring all that. Went through, had his peak in business, and now once again he's out in the in the paddocks pulling out lantana, putting in fences, and that's what he loves. But there's something really magic. Like even right now, like since I moved into this joint up here in at Noosa, it's like there's something so nice about doing stuff with your hands and like creating and building, which is like really, I don't know if the word's totally. spiritual or it's no, just very it calming in doing it. Oh, dude. Yeah, like I look back. So like I won't go too deep, too deep into it to bore your audience, but the property I bought was like off-grid. So I don't know what that translates in Australia, but basically yeah. no power, 
no no hydro water or whatever running in from the city and like like it was a bush lot so it needed like to be fully cleared and me and my buddy who bought it were like oh no we're gonna do it ourselves it's like when i don't know if i can chainsaw go buy a chainsaw right part of it is also again the process you learn about how it all works you research how do i cut trees you find some youtube channel some guy like oh fuck this guy's awesome and he's like you got to get this tool and you're like sick so part of it is that whole you fall in love with the process of it right totally totally you find all these cool fucking handsome dudes on the internet doing cool stuff with their hands you're like oh i want to be that guy it's it's fucking awesome though, man. Like going through and like creating, like building stuff. And you know what's it was super interesting? I don't know if I was talking with you about it. No, I was talking with one of my other guys. It's like in all the blue zones in the world, every single one of them, oh, apparently, Peru, Crete, all those places. They're all um uh, all the places. Yeah, blue zones like somewhere where they have like a very high average, high average. and low uh, incidence of like of like like stupid, stupid, annoying diseases. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like lungs of cancer, heart disease, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. They all garden. They they're all like all garden. They all work with their hands. They're all doing oh, yeah. that sort of stuff still. Well, like what like what's more fucking human than that? Yeah, nothing. But it's it's so relaxing. I mean, like if you want to like de stress. I mean, if we look at like the whole reason for a lack for for the reason stress occurs, it's either we're living in the past or living in the future. One of the two. Try living in the past or future as you're gardening. As you're like cutting down a tree, as you're chopping wood, as you're doing something like that. Like you can't, you have to be in that moment and it's totally relaxing. That's why I like hunting because you got to be totally in the moment. Yeah. Tell us about your hunting, man. What do you mean? It's just a hobby, you know? Yeah. What do you do? How does it work? I mean, it depends what you're hunting for, right? Like big game, small game. I don't know what hunting's like. Actually, I remember one guy told me about hunting in Australia. He's like, we had cats. I was like, that sounds fucking stupid. Yeah, <laughs> pigging, pigging, hunting cats, shooting a few roos is, is not like, much. Like, it looks stupid. But yeah, mainly I like to hunt birds, like geese, ducks, turkey, that kind of stuff. And there are two types of hunting. There's like sit around and do nothing. It's very, very boring hunting, which I'm not a fan of because I go nuts, <laughs> right? We have to be super quiet and like, can't have any scent so that's like deer hunting or bear hunting you sit in a tree stand you sit in the ground blind you fucking don't move for like seven hours you can't look at your hands you like you can't think about (laughs) you can't smell anything it's just super annoying and i can't do it then there's more like active hunting which is goose duck turkey birds that kind of stuff you know rabbits where you're, you're moving around or you're like you're sitting in a spot but you can talk and stuff and you're trying to basically like call in birds to decoys so like you know fake birds in the water on land it's just more fun. It's more like, it's usually more communal. So you have your buddies with you doing it, right? Which is nice. Like deer and bear hunting, big game hunting, you're usually kind of just solo and alone, which which is nice. Like I do it sometimes when I want to just like, it's almost like meditative because you're just stuck out there in the trees. You can't do anything. That's fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. It's just not for me. It takes a different kind of like, when you meet bow hunters and stuff, it's like, a, they're like, a, they're like Zen monks, man. Like their approach. It's crazy. I, I can't do it. What, like, because they just have to be so quiet for so long. And so still and so patient. Mm. Like, I know some, like, really, really, like, one of my friends is one of the best, like, I think, bow hunters in all of Ontario. He makes his own bows by hand. He makes his own arrows. Like, <laughs> guy's fucking serious. He goes into, like, the dirtiest, nastiest, fucking rankest bush swamp where he has to, like, walk for an hour from his car just to get to like a river to cross that river to get into the spot where he's going to hunt. And he always pulls out like monster fucking deer. Like just, and it's cool because it's all public land. Like people think he's like some millionaire hunting on like ranches. He's just hunting in swamps, but he's like 90% of the time, nothing happens. I see nothing. I do nothing. No success. Right. So again, it's that delayed gratification, right? 
Yeah, right. Right, and then 10%, you, like 9%, you get a bunch of action, and then 1%, you actually shoot your bow, right? Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is. It sounds yeah. really fucking boring. It's so like really boring. <laughs> Versus I like, the, I like duck and goose and that kind of stuff because there's like a ritual to it because it's like you get up, you make coffee, you and your mate stand around, you, sh- you know, you tell stupid jokes, drink the coffee, you get all the gear, you walk in, like you set up the gear, you're making more stupid jokes, you get in like your blind, which is like a little covering to hide you or you're, you're just sitting in the reeds. And there's something about, man, I, I'm talking to Andrew and yeah, you about it. There's something about water. I don't know if you talked, did you, maybe you told me about this. There's an effect of water. I find it's like very calming. Mm. You're like standing in the water, like we'll put on waders and you're standing in the water or like on the water and you watch like the sun come up, right? Because you're like in total darkness waiting for the mm. sun to come up. Actually, Sunday was a great example. So Saturday, perfect day, like perfect weather. Like couldn't have asked for better weather. Ideal conditions, not too hot, not too cold. We had like a million ducks and geese flying in around us, just <laughs> shot like shit. Like perfect, right? And we still got some birds, but it was like perfect hunt. The next day, got up, we're like, holy fuck. We couldn't even see 10 feet in front of us. It was so foggy. And we're like, should we, should we even bother going? And it's like, ah, let's fucking go. So we go, set up the decoys, you know, like an hour of watching the fog just like do its thing, right? Until we finally could like see. And then the birds started flying. Didn't really get much action. Like didn't really see much. But then me and my buddy, we walked back, you know, in total silence. And I was like, was that better than the day before? He's like, way better. I was like, yeah. <laughs> just watching the fog, like do all this cool shit. And like, it was just all mysterious and, you know, epic. Mm. Just cool and just weird. And then he's like, yeah, that was way better than all the nice day and all the birds. <laughs> Totally. If we look back at this though, like, and we go no, back I, like a I couple of years. Sorry to what was that? It was quite a rant. Sorry to your audience. No, it was, it was just like, like if we look at that and, and you know, if we go back a couple of years, we probably would have found that boring as fuck, like wandering out, like sitting in the woods, all that sort of stuff. But I see this all the time in dudes who are successful. It's like we have this, certain amount of chaos in our life, which is business. And then we search for this balance externally. Like what is it? And that's just my perception of it. What is it that you feel like? What does hunting bring you? What does the stillness bring you? What do you get out of being out there in the fog, missing all the fucking birds, not doing it? But it's it's almost like getting hunting the the the, the ducks and the geese. It's not the point. It's like what do you get out of it? I think like you said, just presence. Just like living in the moment, right? Because you, you re, what one of the best things that hunting teaches you, which I've learned, is that we believe as humans that we uh, we have control over things, and hunting teaches you you have zero control over anything, right? Was it good? Because like, that's like one of our like primordial sins. It's like we believe we can control things, right? That we have, or that we have some like we have the upper hand on like if you don't believe in fate or free will or whatever. But like you know, we can do things now, like you said, worrying about the future, right? But in reality, like <laughs> we have zero control. And when you when you learn in those moments that you have zero control, and you always see this with new hunters where they get like really frustrated because a bird goes one way and like oh, but he was like walking right towards the decoy and then he just turned the last minute and like fucked off. You're like yeah, that's hunting, man. Like he's like it's not fair. It's like of course it's not fair. <laughs> if it was fair and easy, everybody would have, every fucking asshole would be out here hunting, <laughs> and there'd be no birds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which ironically like, wouldn't be fair. coaching was easy. There'd be a million JCFs, right? And they'd all probably be shit. True that. True that. That's right? funny. It's funny, dude. I was literally just filming up um, for the new business coaching stuff we're going to do for 
coaching people how to make like their own version of JCF. I was just filming up like some of the mindset sections on it. And it was like, everyone will get the same information, but like 10% will succeed. And the difference in that is just your perception of it and the way that you think. Like we see this all the time. I have clients, like we've coached like six and a half thousand people. We're close to 7,000 people now, right? And there are still some like, We've, we've got a pretty down pat. You know, I can say we've got a pretty down pat. Well, you can rule now. out the process at this point, right? You're like, this yeah. is the person, this is the process. Let's, we, can, we can validate the process. We can rule out the process. With some a high people, degree of certainty. Yeah. Some people still fuck it up. It's like, I don't know how you do that. Like you have to, like, if you just go with the flow and you just follow it, like it's Dude, easy. No, no, I firmly believe now after doing coaching and, and, and fighting as well, and it's funny because what you just said, I'm reading Hermosi's book and the first thing he says in the book, he's like, congratulations. He's like 10% of, you know, 90% of entrepreneurs won't even buy this book. And the, the 10% that do, only 1% will actually follow through. That's mm. the advice, right? And he's like, I give this and like a million things out for free. But what he said that backs that up is he's like, no matter what, in any program or in any, could be school, could be coaching, whatever. He's like, there will always be the 10% that no matter what, will figure it out. They'll just fucking, and they'd figure it out whatever industry they're in. They could be a, a contractor. They could be a garbage man. They're just going to fucking figure it out. And there's a 10% that'll just never fucking figure it out. And I've come to believe in, a, in like, yeah, I've pretty much come to believe and accept in my life that there are people who just like, they just, for whatever reason, they don't want to win. They just, they've resigned themselves to not winning. And whether that's nature, whether that's nurture, right? I just, there are people who are essentially what I would call uncoachable. Mm, totally. That sounds harsh, harsh. Like it sounds, and it, it like really, <laughs> it really fucks with like, your ethos as a coach, right? Because you want to believe in your heart of hearts that like you can help everybody, but you can't. There's just a certain degree of people and like subset of the population that no matter what, like you can literally like do everything for them. <laughs> like they're still not like they still will fuck it up somehow. I have this debate with my guys all the time. See, I'm of the belief that you can help everybody, but like and this is a big but. It's like, but you need to be able to provide the right type of support for everybody. And for some people, that support would mean literally fucking living with them for three months and dragging their ass out of bed and then changing their whole patterns. Like standing over them. Yeah. Standing over them like there, then and there. And it's like, you look into it, it's like it goes really fucking deep into how they were raised as a kid, like what they're allowed to be as as acceptable. Like, fuck, so many people are raised to have to break their word to to know that like their word means nothing and it's acceptable to commit to something and not do it this that's crazy he's raising some kids that aren't his 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 baby mama i guess you call it but um yeah he's like they both have like no sense of value of their of their of their their word and their bond how crazy is that he's just fucked and yeah he, he was like the most inane example too where the kids are like oh like we want like to get different food like we like the food you go because he's like hey what do you like and they're like, oh, I don't know. They're like, uh, like my friend at school likes hummus. And he's like, oh, you like hummus? They're like, yeah. So he goes and buys them like hummus and like veggies to dip it in with them. And they're like, they're eating it. And they're like, oh. he's like you don't like this? They're like, no, we lied to you. We said we liked hummus. We didn't want to hurt your feelings. It's like, what? Like we are raising a bunch of fucking pussies. We are, man. Like, I'm a yeah. big believer in the pussification of society. He's like, like, they're soft as fuck. He's like, I looked, in, I looked at them. I was like, oh, fuck. These boys are super fucking soft. And I got a hard. It's not up. their fault. It's no, not their fault. No, because their dad's a soft bitch. It's just like, 
And, and it's so sad. And it, it just continually goes and goes and goes. And hey, his dad was a soft bitch. Or his dad was like, or his dad was a super hard asshole. Again, I don't know. One of the two. But, I'm reading yeah, a book. I was put on it by a mate of mine. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it talks about how now, like even particularly, this is more college age as opposed to younger, but about how kids are taught more and more and more to perceive that anybody who disagrees with you is a threat. And it's like a constant battle of good versus evil. And if something is uncomfortable or you experience discomfort, it's bad. Like it's really, really evil and bad. Like with those kids, like totally. wanting to, t- to hurt his feelings or disagree with him. Oh, no, we can't do that. We'd better lie because lying and breaking our word is better than hurting someone's feelings. Like how fucked up is that? Yeah. yeah it's, it's mental. And like I said, we're all guilty of it. I've, I put things off. I should have done, you know, much sooner. I didn't want to hurt someone's feeling or you're afraid of conflict. But like, you know, it's isolated things versus like to habitually let it like run your entire life, you know? To lie about hummus. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's a crazy example. But actually on that and as that's well. That's why I can't think too because it's like you can't be a pussy. No pussies allowed. Right? Why is that? Like most people are pussies that don't want to get up early. They don't want to get dirty. They don't want to get wet. They don't want to be cold. They don't, you know what I mean? Oh, there's no mm. Wi-Fi here at the duck blind? It's like, no, we're at the fucking duck blind in the middle of nowhere. Of course, no fucking Wi-Fi. Yeah. Why I do think, you need Wi-Fi? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a <laughs> it's like, good point, it's like, man. It's like, what? You're missing the whole point, dude. Like, can you not get The whole point is to have no Wi-Fi and to totally just to be fucking, present. Like, I want to slap the guy, right? Well, oh, someone doing, actually said that. That's not a hypothetical. Oh, no, no. I've taken a lot of guys out hunting and they're like, oh, it's like really cold. Can we go home? I'm like, fucking February. In Canada, you know it's going to be cold. Like this should not come as a, a surprise to you, you know. Well, so what role has this? And we were talking about this before. I'd love to before before we flick the record button on yeah. discomfort in life and the way that we can be uncomfortable and how discomfort toughens us up. Can you run me through your experience of that and like how it's allowed you to have certain success and certain amounts of success in certain areas because you're able to be uncomfortable for longer. Yeah, uncomfortable for longer and also just willing to just like do something over and over again until you get the results you want, right? Like, yeah, sales is a great example. Like getting, you know, hearing no, having people be upset at you. Like it's the same thing. It's not, com- it's not, it's not, it's not fun. It's not comfortable. Like no one wants to be in that situation. But when you do other things that reinforce to you the importance of being comfortable and suffering, right? Everything else like through becomes almost like, yeah a lens in which you view that because you're like, okay, like I know what this is like. It's the same feeling, right? We all like we all know those feelings. They're similar with all things. So you just you just sink into that feeling and you're like, okay, yeah, like I know what this is like. I've been here before. And I know if I do this enough, I'm probably gonna get the result that I want. Yeah, totally. Well one of the reasons like I love coaching you, you and Andrew and Jay as well. In fact, all the all the guys, even the sales sniper guys too, is like cause when I'd get you to do something, like I get you to do some weird shit. Like meditation is is uncomfortable at the start. All the breath work stuff that I get you to do, you know, smashing apple cider vinegar with lemon, like that's uncomfortable too. It's uh, one thing I want to ask is like, why is it for you that you, you didn't fuck around? Like when we first started working together, like why is it that you went into it head first and actually had a crack on the program straight away without doubt? I think it's like the same thing with the gym when you just like show up those first couple of days and like, this is what we're going to do. And like, you're like, oh, this is, this is the class. Like, no, this is the warm up. <laughs> you're like, oh, I want to vomit. It's just the same thing where when you do hard activities and you surround yourself with people who are really good at them, you learn to how do I describe this because I think my, my, my wife suffers from this. A lot of people suffer from it. A lot of people fear, and I think it's actually like, a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a fear of success thing, but 
they fear that people have their, or they don't believe that people have their best interests at heart, right? So when you when you do a program like yours, it's like I'm paying for a guy to coach me on how to be better. So like probably he's going to do things that even though they might not be comfortable, they're probably going to like be for my best interest, right? Just like if I'm hunting with a guy who I really respect, who's a really good hunter, and he's like, we're going to do this and it's going to suck or like I'm going to try this thing. You might not agree with them, but you're like, you know what? Like he's really good at this and I've seen his results. So it's probably going to work. Like you learn to turn off that natural skepticism, I think, right? That a lot of people have, hmm. which I think is actually people's, a thing people use don't have to do hard work. That's a good point. Right? So from you doing the hard work, like on the plan, what are the changes that you've noticed in yourself? Well, just like not putting myself first always. And that's something I always did with like training. Sorry, excuse me, and hunting. And this is how I was as a person for a long time. So you just learn to like, it's just like a different version of suffering. So one of the changes I've seen is just a bit more selflessness, I think. A bit more, yeah, just a, with my role, like a bit more of an investment in others, right? And like worried about their success now. Like now that's my new thing to jam on is like, how do I make the, the people better, right? Mm. Versus make me better. Totally. So run, like how, how exactly, what do you see is like your role as a leader, as a manager, like what is your role in your employees? Like how do you make them better? I'm honestly still trying to figure that out. I think it's like a work in progress forever. But one thing that I'm I'm realizing, which is interesting, is like it's almost like there's like two ends of the spectrum where there's or it's like the same thing. It's like the two the two personality types, maybe not as drastic, but there's the people and like there's a girl on our team staff, or like a prime example, where it's almost like the less that I try and coach her and train her, the better she does. <laughs> right. And the more that I just I'm like, this is what I want you to do, or like, can you accomplish this objective? And like you're doing a great job, right? And like and like that kind of stuff, it, it just like just like has an exponential return. Right. And then there's the other people where you do have to get down in the weeds with them. And, and like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to go from the 30,000, like, down to the ground level with them and really get in the trenches, which is fine. Right. But you quickly learn, like, okay, I got to do that with this person. I got to do this with this person. Versus, I think a lot of managers apply just one to everybody. Right? I think most like managers all- have one skill set. Right. They have one way of managing. They're not actually ma- adapting to all adapting. the indiv- individuals they work with. Right. Right. Yeah. Like even today, like the way I talked to like three different people today, like vastly different. Like one of them, I swore at a lot and some, some, some not safe words and some stuff. Right. And he's like, I love this. He's like, this is, I respond so well to this. You know? And then someone else, right. A bit more delicate, you know, bit of a different tone. And then, yeah. And then staff were just like, it's just like, okay. Like it's, it's very just like even keel, neutral, no bullshit. Just, you know, cool. This is the objective. Like our, our one-on-ones, we scheduled 30 minutes. They're done usually in like nine to 10 minutes. Right. It's just like we know what's going on. Yeah, totally. So I think yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Most managers, yeah, they they generally. I think yeah, man, like yeah, most managers just suck. <laughs> and a lot of it's not their fault. Like I don't think it isn't. Like I totally believe that it's that. I my my belief of humans is that every single human is inherently good. I mean, we go do the baby thing, right? That I was talking about I, when I was I on your podca- you, yes. podcast. It's like you look at every human is born good. A baby is good. There's no point where they suddenly become evil. It's like, it's just, they're poorly taught. They're taught to like, not, uh, they're not taught how to maintain their word. They're not taught to maintain integrity. They're not taught how to actually deal with different people. And it's a really big skill set. Where'd you learn your skill set of dealing with different people and with, with managing different personalities? I mean, that started when I was probably like 18, 19, because I had a crazy sales job working for a door-to-door sales company. We just had like hundreds of employees. And at first I was a rep and then I became a trainer. And I think that's like where I started. 
you just have to learn like so many different people, different nationalities, different personality types. And I was just forced to just like figure out how to how to adapt to different people, you know? Why did you thrive? Because that sounds that's not like the easiest environment to thrive in. Why do you feel that you thrived in that environment? Because I had a really good manager who I learned from, James. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, it's like, just oh, the mentor. Cool. So it's, it all yeah, comes back just, to the mentoring. It all comes, dude. It all comes back. Yeah, like invest in your fucking people, man. If you want your team to grow and get ahead, like you got to you got to invest in your people and their skills, right? Like, and that's the one thing. The guy who ran the company, Ben, like he's psycho, total psychopath, very successful, crazy successful, but. The one thing that he'd like worked so hard on and it like it worked wonders for him was his whole strategy was like develop the people who will develop the people, right? Mm. Like that was it. It worked really, really well. You know? Now so focusing on your leaders. Yeah, and like not like yeah, like you'd like and then like and then like your frontline commanders, right? Like the guys who are like leading the people in the trenches, you know? There's there's an organization that will remain nameless <laughs> that coaches people. Coaches who coach, coaches who coach, coaches who coach, coaches. Coachception. Coachception. But yeah, it's just all all I ever see in the business coaching, internet marketing space, like all I just saw, I saw one today. It's just like, I see someone's profile pic. It's got like, I know already it's going to have the circle around them with like the I help X do Y thing. And I'm like, it's want to fucking vomit. If you look through all those posts, all those Facebook groups, all those VSLs, all that shit, one percent or less of those people ever talk about like team and leadership and managing and like because it's fucking hard. Number one, number two, it's not sexy, right? Mm. But the guys who are crushing the most, right? Like, what's their secret? <laughs> they have a really good team. Usually, they have low turnover, right? Like you, they have great retention, right? It's like like a business is a bunch of people doing stuff. <laughs> the totally. I mean, Richard Branson put it really well. It's like if you look after your employees, your employees will take care of your clients. Who's yeah? Like that's what I say to our members all day because like we we coach contractor tradies, right? I'm like, who who spends the most time with your clients all day? It's not you. It's your fucking guys. Like who's like like you're running a building company. You're like renovating someone's house, right? Like you're building the kitchen, you build them a deck. Like who's there all day every day with them? It's your fucking guys. It's not you, dude. Like you work for your guys. Your guys work for your clients. Like don't get it twisted. Yeah, it's a bit of a mind fuck for a lot of people. When I tell them that, they're like, what do you mean? They're like, that's like, that's like, you know, you're wrong. Or like, fuck you. I'm like, prove me wrong. Totally. Well, your job becomes to actually serve the people who are serving the, your customers, serving the people who pay you. Right. Yeah. That's what I, like, I, I remember the, like the one, like the one, like kind of, you know, like, like, like physics almost like test. I give them all. And it's like, okay, you're doing like a three month project, right? Where like your guys are there interacting with people every day. I'm like, if you go there, and you pull the guy that you know is the guy that everyone loves offsite for fucking 48 hours and you're placing with you or somebody else, I'm like, do you think that you will get a bunch of phone calls? They will notice. They'll be unhappy. And they're like 100% of the time, they're like, yeah, of course. I'm like, okay. I'm like, if you never show up to that job after selling it, do you think they'll care? They're like, unless there's an issue, no. I'm like, then like, dude, you've just validated. Like, it's not you, it's them, right? Like, they're the ones there. It's like, that's any business. I'm using contracting as an example, but it's any business, right? Yeah. Contracts like is a good thing. example, though. Yeah. It's just like, it's like the ego thing. We think, well, but I'm the owner of the company. Like, of course they care about me. And like, they got, I'm, you know, I'm working for them. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you're, there at the, you're, there, you're there to ask for money and you're there to get money. That's basically so, it. Dude, I remember at the start, 
when when I first started mine, it was like my I felt like I had to write every single program personally for every client who ever came through. So I was writing hundreds of fucking programs back in the day. This is when I was charging like 44 bucks a week for, for plans. It's funny times have changed. <laughs> yeah, that's cute, isn't it? 44 a week. But like I was handwriting every single one. And I remember one of my mentors said, you can't do this. Like you're not going to have a business which is going to last. What if you get sick? What if you burn out? Funnily enough, a couple of, ma- a couple of months later, I did. And I was like, how are you going to scale this out? It's like, but no, but I, I felt like I had to write me personally every single thing. You know, it's funny is that when I started putting more emphasis on my employees, on training them, on making them better as human beings, they started writing fucking better programs than what I do. And it's like empowering you guys to be better. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's always the classic, right? It's like they start doing it better than you or like things you didn't think of, right? Totally. Totally. And it's like a proud moment. I know there's a lot of people who have ego struggles with that, that they're no longer the guy, but it's like the proudest moment ever when your employee actually becomes better than you at their, at their task. Oh, that was the best piece of advice I ever got ever from one of my sales mentors, a guy I work with Marty. And he remember telling him telling us, he goes, the goal of you as a sales manager is for your guys to sell better than you. And we're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He's like, that's the fucking goal, dude. Like the goal is they outperform you, right? And it's sales is especially hard because it's so ego and so results driven, right? He's like, watch, you like if that becomes your objective, right? Like then things are to change, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's fucking that's really, really true. Same thing, like, yeah, we even with Steph, like I was like trying to like meddle her in a process and like, you know, then I'm like, what am I doing? Let her do it. If she fails, we'll figure it out. And if if not, it's super successful, then perfect. <laughs> it wins. <laughs> Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, but it's like worst case, it fails and you figure it out. I'm just gonna die. <laughs> like you're not performing surgery on people, you know? Like, yeah, it's a very low maybe you are. Maybe job. you're maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you coach doctors. I don't know. But like, yeah, man, like it's all gonna be fine at the end of the day. So what do you? That's that's a very chilled out perspective. I mean, if we look at a lot of people and we say like it's all gonna be fine, a general response to that is like, no, it's not. You don't know my situation. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you know that, right? You've probably heard that from, from clients that before. Been that guy, right? I so probably sometimes. Probably happens. With, <laughs> you have you haven't at the start when we first started working together, you were a little bit, but you're pretty chill now. I haven't seen you look like your heart rate's above 40 beats per minute in a long time. But like what what do you do right now to stay chill, to stay calm, even though there could be a thousand fires that you need to put out? And like right now, like we're dealing with some shit and like things are not like a hundred percent which is actually probably the time when you need to be like the most calm, arguably, right? Right? Like it's like, again, if you're like in a, in a we're like what always happens in like any kind of crisis situation, what do they always teach you? It's like, first thing is like, get calm, right? Totally. You know? Right? Like establish your bearings, right? Like breathe, like get focused, right? Because when you panic, when you're, in, when you're in a panic mode, like it's game over. It's like, that's how people drown often, right? They start drowning yeah. and they freak out because they're drowning, they drown. When they probably yeah. could have just done nothing and floated. Yeah. Right? Funny, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I was freaking out a bit like last week. And then I was just like, wait, I'm going to like look at the data. That's a good thing. Whenever you're freaking out, just go look at the data. It often has a calming effect. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, we got to do this every day. It's every week, every month. Okay, cool. For the next three months. And I showed it to the team, I'm like, it's going to suck. We got each year for three months. I'm like, These are the targets. We're going to do it. Any problems? Okay. Went through some issues. And I was like, the goal is like, book 22 calls. And today they booked like 30. I was like, okay, cool. And then tomorrow they might book 15, but I'll have a shot at 22. Right, and it's all gonna like, be fun. When you start, when you when you use data and parameters, it often makes things less 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 panicky. You know, mm. 
Hundred percent. I've um, I, I was business coaching a dude. He's based over in the UK. Really lovely guy. Didn't have any data in his whole business, like nothing, and still to this day almost, has almost like yeah, ninety percent of business owners have nothing. Oh, it's fucked, man. Because this dude was giving his business business whiplash. Right, he's like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and he was changing his mind every single day about what he was going to do. Or you see the opposite: guys who know data make no decisions, right? Or they're like super slow to make any decision because they don't have any data, and then they just like never grow, right? Yeah, that is the it's the most boring, underrated, but essential part of every single business of life. Of of life, that's a good point. Same thing with like yeah, like our baby, right? Like she's like. You're going through like a sleep regression, right? And my wife was like freaking out and stuff. And I was like, okay, let's check the app. Let's see like what her average sleep is over the last like 15 days. I was like, oh, it's like 0.1 off the average. I'm like, we're fine. <laughs> it really puts stuff in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you have one shitty night like we had the other night and you're just like, you know, and then like every whole perspective gets fucked, right? And then it's like, oh yeah. And then, but then you look at the data, you step back, zoom out. I'm like, she's 0.1 off the average. I'm like, and same with like the, the aura ring, same with the aura ring, tracking your biometrics, all those, all those sorts of things as well. It's so calming having that data there. Yeah, or like anything, like investing. Like I like I had a big loss on like a crypto investment the other day, but then I looked at a, a win I made and I just like averaged it out and I was like, oh, I'm good. Crypto has not been kind to me lately. <laughs> yeah, I've been kind <laughs> to most people. I'm applying some new strategies that are working much better now versus my cowboy shit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got burned enough. But then I'm like, yeah, then I'm doing like more tactical stuff. I was like, I'm, like, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm like, Look at some data. I'm going to read this white paper. I'm going to like do my due diligence. Oh, smart. Funny how that works. Funny how that works. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's the future, though. I'm deep on crypto. I think it's the future, man. Why is that? Because we're going to go through, we're going through like a massive wealth transfer right now. And fundamentally, the people who are transferring all the wealth like don't understand and will never understand crypto. And you're giving a bunch of money to a bunch of people who do understand crypto or will. And they're going to fucking put it into the new shiny thing because the old shit's boring. Right? The other thing about crypto is... We gold as currency, dude. And we fucking got off gold. Yeah. To, to paper. Gold's fucking awesome. Why would you take paper? Right? We is this cheaper? Like, huh? ah, it's just like, it's just easier, right? <laughs> Carrying around gold's annoying. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> the next thing is like with crypto. Crypto, I can send money to you instantly and it costs me 10 cents. Or like like that is insane how cheap it is. Like the fees are just so minimal. I got, it's an, incredible. I got an app where I stake. I literally like watch it make money every hour. Just like go in there. I'm like, oh, just like it like ticks in real time. Uh, you're into DeFi as well, are you? Yeah, like on Anchor Protocol. I'm like, I'm making like more money than like a really good like investment banker makes. Like, like for a portfolio, like you're making like 20% or like 19%. And it's like the best guys are lucky to average out a 10. And I'm literally doing fucking nothing and there's zero risk and it's fully liquid. Well, it's crazy, isn't it? Because you're in what's got USDT or UST, like the UST, yeah. UST I'm also like yeah, which is US dollars tethered. Tethered. It's a coin which is tethered to the US dollars. So it's the same value, same 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 value. Over collateralized as well, if I remember correctly, with Anchor Protocol. So it's very slightly, yeah. Slightly, yeah. So it's like it's very very safe, and you're making twenty percent per annum on it. Like it's almost impossible to make twenty percent in the market. Yeah. It's like the 0.1% of guys average out 20% returns. Like Bernie Madoff's big Ponzi scheme was 10%. That was his safe, reliable Yeah, it's thing. just like with crypto, I'm often like, I often have these moments. I'm like, how the fuck does everybody not know about this and they're not doing it? I'm like, oh wait, they will very soon, right? Because there'll just be a network effect. There'll be that like that impetus point, And then all of a sudden, someone will just figure out how to build the mousetrap better and easier to explain to people who are dumb how to do crypto. Because like yeah. the actual steps, to, like to take your money, to buy Tether or Terra 
put it in a fucking Terra protocol wallet and, and stake it. It's not hard. Like mm. a fucking seven-year-old can do it. It's not complex. But mm. there's this, it's this classic thing where it's like, it's mysterious and complex and no one knows how it works. They don't do it. But it's actually retardedly easy. The second it becomes like one, one order of magnitude easier to do it, like everyone will adopt it. And it's then just because it it's will- new though. The yeah. first time you do it, it is hard. Like it's difficult because right. you don't know where to look. You don't know where to find yeah, it, sure. how but, to but do it. But it's not anyway. like inherently difficult is what I mean. No. You know, it's way more harder dude, to, to order up to like to do options trading and shorting is actually way harder. You're right. To open up a margin account and a short account and like do shorts on like web, on like web brokerage is like fucking way harder than doing crypto. Mm. And way more like, it's way more re- like reactive and emotionally taxing. I don't want to do that. Just have your like monitor open all day and like checking shit. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like fucking, that's why those dudes are all like anxiety ridden drug addict, all fucking die at 50. Like fucking like they're just, they're like, they're on gear six the whole, their whole life, you know? Rough, isn't it? Ugh. Yeah, they can't. They can never. They can never enjoy any moment in life because they're always one step away from ultimate failure or like ultimate win, right? Like it's it's brutal. Man. I couldn't imagine. Like I know guys like that. They can never. They can never relax. They can never enjoy anything. What's the point of life? What is the net net of life? If that's what you're doing, I know a guy who like yeah, he like walked out at his like kid's wedding to like execute a trade or something. I was like, you're idiot. Fuck that. You're a fucking moron. Get your priorities right. I was um on that bombshell. <laughs> Like, yeah. don't be that guy. Yeah, don't be that guy. I, I had a had a friend who was um, like one of my mentors and he literally left a Christmas lunch to go fix a fire from one, from one of his businesses. I was like, fuck that. Like if that's where you're at with business, it's like, what is the point of what you're doing? Totally agree. No. But dude, thanks for coming on. This has been a really, really cool chat. Yeah, man. This is great. Yeah. So while we're at it as well, like if someone does like what you're about, loves your ethos, your values and the way that you do things, the way that you think, like obviously you guys coach contractors on how they can optimize their income and how they can, yeah. can you know, make more money from that. Where's the best place for them to find you and to find out about how to think like you, how to be like you and how to get the same success that you've, you've, you've got? Probably the easiest way for most people is just go to just go to Instagram at Profit for Contractors or just go to our YouTube page or check out our podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, you know, all the major things. And that's probably the best place to start. We can drink some of our Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get the admin girls to go drop your links in below so they can go check it out. Yeah, man. Yeah, at Profit for Contractors, Instagram, send us a message there. Go to YouTube. And then, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Legendary. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, bro. It was awesome. Appreciate you, dude. Yeah, man. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there. 